How is everybody today? Good. I'm doing pretty well, actually, thanks. Um, so we've been going through the book of Acts, and, and I really like the book of Acts because the book of Acts is the young church, and um, as long as I'm not trying to, as long as I'm not responsible for them, I like young people because they're fun to watch, like bounce off of walls and, and uh, try and figure stuff out, and so they're kind of fun to watch from a distance. Um, they're a lot of work when you're raising them, though. I uh, love them. I got my kids here today, and I love them to death. Um, but there's a difference in just watching kids from afar and raising them. Yeah? Any parents in here nod their heads? Agree with me? All right. It means nothing that we don't love our children, right? But the book of Acts, we watch the, we watch the young church. We get to see them, we get to see them grow. We get to see different experiences that they have. And, and so we, we started with the, the ascension of Jesus, and then the disciples get started, and they're trying to figure all this stuff out. And um, then they actually begin to, to gain some steam, and they start, to, they start to really make a difference to the point where the, the Jews start to say, like, hey, well, we thought we were going to kill one guy and be done. This is kind of becoming a mess. Let's try and figure this out. And so we, we talked last week, a couple weeks ago, about Stephen. Remember, we talked about Stephen being stoned. And so today we're actually going to look at uh, the next big name in Acts and, and talk about his conversion. But before we get into that, I want you to think about how how enamored we are as humans with unbelievable things, right? Some of you might be able to remember, you might be old enough to remember when I, a few years ago when I was a kid, there was a show on TV called That's Incredible. And uh, they would try and bring up all this silly stuff that didn't make sense, but they, they would prove to you that it was actually true. Um, Ripley's Believe It or Not, anybody been to Ripley's Believe It or Not? One of those, if you've been to Myrtle Beach or you've been to uh, Gatlinburg or someplace like that, I don't, I don't know what all tourist trap place. I mean, I don't know what all tourist places have them, but, but, uh, but there's, there's this place called Ripley's, believe it or not, and people love going there because they want to see things that they probably wouldn't believe, but they, they prove it to be true. Another one is Guinness Book of World Records. Any, anybody like you, some of the things that you see in the Guinness Book of World Records. I actually met someone that owned, that, that did for a while have a Guinness, actually had his name in a Guinness Book of World Records. He was a, an instructor at the, at the training I just went to in Boston. He held the record for the, you're not going to believe this, it's true though, uh, for the largest number of quarters he could hold in his nose. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know why he admitted that to us. I, <laughs> I don't know. When I tell you the number, you're going to be even more amazed because it got beat but his number was 18. I don't know. His nose wasn't really that big either, so I don't know where all he went. But, but we as humans, we like to be amazed, right? We like to be wowed. We, we like things to, to amaze us. We like things to make us, well, man, I don't know if that's true or not. And we like to try and figure that out. My, some of you may have watched Star Trek uh, a few years ago. My dad really liked Star Trek. I'm, I didn't so much. But, but some of the things that we saw in Star Trek back in the day actually have come true, right? How many, how many of you remember the phaser gun that they had? They would just pull the trigger and some electricity would knock people out. Now we've got tasers, so we made it close to there, right? And uh, then he had his little, I don't know what it is, walkie-talkie or whatever. He would flip it open and start talking, and Scotty could hear him and be beamed up. Now we've got flip phones. How many of you, if I would have mentioned 30 years ago around when I was born, 30 years ago that some, I don't know why you guys laugh. But I don't know, if we would have mentioned 30 years ago that you would be carrying around a computer in your pocket, you probably would have said, you're crazy. There's no, there's no way that will ever happen because then computers were quite a bit bigger, right? <clears throat> we love to be amazed. 
we love to be wild. We love things to, to happen that, that we say, oh, I don't really know if that's true. And so today, we're actually going to look at a story. And in my opinion, this is one of the greatest stories of redemption ever spoken about. But not only is it, a, is it a story of redemption, it's also a story that's difficult for us to believe. If we really look at what happens in today's story, it's, it's a story that's very difficult for us to believe and to actually hold on to, I think. And I know, I admitted this in first service, I have ADHD or whatever, the, whatever that whole pay attention not so good at um, thing is. I've always struggled with that. That's one reason I started out of high school, went to college to become a preacher because then I didn't have to sit still in church. I could talk like for half of the church service. I got to talk. Um, as a kid, that wasn't that they kind of recommended against that. Um, and so I was like, man, that dude gets to talk for half an hour at church. Let's go do that job. And so I understand ADD and the struggle with paying attention. But today we're going to do something. I don't often do it because of that, but we're going to read 31 verses in a row. And as we read through them, I want you to just listen because if you actually will pay attention, if you pull it up on your phone, I'll give you a little bit to pull it up on your phone. Uh, not many people carry Bibles anymore. If you have your Bible, open your Bible to Acts chapter 9. Start looking for it. Find it. Find it on your phone. There's some Bibles back there if you want one. But as we read through these 31 verses, I want you to, I want you to really listen to the story because if you'll listen to the story, you'll, you'll refute some of those people that say the Bible is boring because there are some things in here, and I don't know if maybe it's because I'm warped. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a little cynical. I, I don't know. But, but as I read through some of these passages, I'm like, <laughs> who? And I get, I get some good chuckles out of what is written in Scripture. And so there are some of them in here. We're going to point them out. If you don't catch them as we go through, we're going to go back and talk about some of them. Beginning in verse Acts chapter 9, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Uh, if you're pulling it up on your phone, you're trying to find one that kind of matches. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9, we see this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, Go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to straight, to straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and play, laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, explained Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles 
and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the man who caused much, such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to, to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot, so during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. And this is a fun story. When, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. <laughs> they did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. When the, uh, so Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When he, the believers learned about this, they took him down to Caesarea, sent him away to Tarsus, which was his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Now, I know that's a long read, but there's so much fun in that story. So hopefully we'll have a little bit of fun looking at it. Uh, if not, I'm sorry. I have fun. So let's go back to the beginning. We're talking about Saul. Now, I did this in first service as well because I guarantee you more than 10 times I'm going to call him Saul or Paul and not get it right. All right, because his name hasn't officially changed yet. We're not to the place in Acts where his name has changed, and we're not going to get there today. So the person we talk about today is mostly going to be Saul. But if I happen to say the word Paul, please don't send too many emails to Rex saying, I don't know what I'm talking about, because I'm telling you ahead of time, it's just because sometimes I get messed up, right? So when I say Paul, I actually mean Saul. We're not going to get to his name changed today. He's still going to be Saul all day today, okay? Everybody okay with that? Any problems with that? If, if so, I'm sorry. My bad. All right. So, let's start. Who is Saul? We've, you've heard about him before, right? He, he's come up in our stories before. Remember? Not too long ago, we talked about a little feller named Stephen. Right? Stephen stands up, preaches this message. They say, hey, let's kill this guy. So they set him up to be stoned. And at the very end of the story about Stephen, there's this little phrase that says, and there was a young man there giving his approval, and his name was Paul. His name was Saul. See, I, I just started, and I'm screwing it up. And there was a young man there named Saul. That's, that's who we're talking about. So the man standing there as Stephen is stoned to death, the one that all the guys that are throwing the rocks look at, and the one that's standing over the, over the, the coats that they put down, giving the nod. Go ahead. 
I don't know if Saul high-fived him when they were done. I, I don't know, but he was giving his approval. Somehow, he let them know he appreciated what they had done in killing Stephen. And then, if you read a little bit later in, the, in Acts chapter 8, you'll see more where Saul was going from town to town killing Christians, wrapping them up, putting them in chains, dragging them to Jerusalem with the intent of killing them because he didn't like them, right? So I want us to really take the time to understand just who Saul was. Because it's difficult for us, I think, sometimes, because all those letters that are written in the New Testament, written by, after his name gets changed to Paul, all those letters that he wrote, and, you know, he's a hero of the faith and all this kind of stuff. But to really understand where Paul becomes, who Paul becomes, we have to really stop and understand who Saul was. Saul was a murderer. There's no other way to say it, right? He killed people for no reason. How many of you, let's just, let's, just for the, let's just for the sake of fun, how many of you would say, if somebody commits murder, it's bad? See, that's a warm-up question. All right, I'm going to ask you some tougher ones later. I want you to be ready for them. That's an easy one. All of you would say, if I'm going to murder somebody, that's probably bad. Yeah? So Saul, Saul has taken this job upon himself to kill Christians. It says it right there in verse 1. Don't miss, don't miss, this is good stuff. Don't miss it. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. Now, that, might, that, that could be an exaggeration, I'm not sure. But he was constantly saying how much he wanted to take out Christians. And he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Like, he was looking forward to it. Some people get excited about going to a softball. Like, if you play softball, you get excited going to a game and winning, or maybe basketball, or if you like to golf, or maybe if you go fishing. I don't know, maybe if you like to go shopping, you get excited about going to shop, and you're eager to go shopping. <laughs> Please don't ask me to go with you, but you might be eager to do. There are things that we are eager to do, right? And what, what, what Saul was eager to do was kill Christians. Now, I don't know if you've thought about just how deeply messed up in the head one has to be to want to kill Christians, but that was Saul. Bad dude. I mean, real bad, right? I mean, we would say that's a really bad guy. Just going to look for people to kill just because they love Jesus. That, that's really bad, right? Everybody say that's really bad. Now, let's go one step further, because not only was Saul spending all of this time and so eager to kill Christians, he was also doing it in the name of God. Right? He felt like he was doing God's will, because he was this Pharisee. He knew, he, he knew certainly that crazy loon Jesus was not the Messiah, but he called himself the Messiah. So, Everybody that's believing him, they've got to be trouble, but they're starting to grow in numbers. So to protect God's house and to protect God's way, and because God needs us to help him out in this, I'm going to go kill a bunch of them. So he's actually doing his murdering in the name of God. Would you say that's worse than just murdering people? I would. Uh. Just in my humanness, that might not be. Some of, you, some of y'all closer to Jesus may not feel that way. That's okay. But I, I, I think like when I look at that, I'm like, if you're going to do something bad and you're going to blame God for it, that's probably a little bit worse than just doing something bad. Right? 
Saul was a bad guy. He wasn't kind of bad. He wasn't, uh, I can live with him. I mean, he was bad. He was trouble. He, he, he was as far away from what God wanted. God was trying to build the church and grow the church of people that believed in Jesus so they could spend eternity with it. And Paul is trying to keep it smaller. He's completely anti-God, doing everything God doesn't want him to do, but he's saying God's telling him to do it. You got to, we've really got to understand it. And the reason I spend so much time on that is because sometimes we have a way of minimizing sin, don't we? Sometimes we have a way of, of, of looking at things and saying, ah, it's really not that bad. Saul really wasn't that bad of a guy. No, he was horrible. I mean, he was, he was on the bulletin board of every church security team throughout the area. Right? I mean, when they had their security team meeting, they like passed this picture around and said, this dude shows up, get the bazooka, lock the doors, call the police, maybe call the National Guard because we don't want him anywhere near us. Yeah? I mean, they, because they knew he wasn't, coming, he wasn't coming to create trouble. He was coming to kill them. So they didn't like him. He was bad. And the reason I spend so much time talking about that is because I know that there are people that feel like they can nev- they're so bad they can never be redeemed. They feel like they've messed their life up so, so horribly that God can't forgive them and God can't use them and, and it's just pretty much over for them. They might as well just kind of get through life. But it's, it's not just that some people feel that way about themselves. They got to start with that. But then some people sometimes in churches feel like there are other people that God can't save. If I were to ask you, I'm not going to because it would be putting you on the spot and that's not fair. But if I were to ask you, have you ever thought there was somebody beyond redemption? I bet every one of you would be able to raise your hand and say, yeah, I, yeah, yep, I know somebody. There's no way. Paul would have been on that list. Saul would have been on that list. No one in the church, the new church, thought <laughs> that they wanted nothing to do with him because he was as far as he was trying to kill him. Hear this. You're never, with a capital N, too far gone for Jesus to redeem. You'll never do anything bad enough in your life that Jesus cannot save you from. There's no sin you can ever commit that God can't forgive. And it's important for us to understand just how deeply in sin Saul really was. Because he's going to become a hero of the faith, right? I mean, you're going to read, Rex and I preach out of books he wrote about the Christian life. You can't be too bad for God to use. Hear that, please. Hear that and remember that when you think about your life. But hear it and think about it when you look at the lives of other people as well. Because sometimes we give up on people and sometimes we think people aren't really, there's no hope for them, so let's not spend time. It's never, never the truth. But not only do we talk about the murderer, because that's the important part to understand that. But then the next part of the story is kind of fun too, because then we talk about the meetings, right? There are two meetings, there are two main meetings in this story that we talked about. 
right? What's the first meeting? Saul meets God. Good. Glad you're awake. Saul is in Jerusalem. He says, hey, goes to the high priest. He says, hey, I want to go arrest Christians, so give me an arrest warrant and tell those other churches, like tell the Jewish churches in those other places that I need their help arresting these Christian people. So go to them, give me, this, give me my arrest warrant, and we'll go, we'll go put them in chains. We'll, we'll arrest them all. We'll bring them back. Wink, wink. Hopefully, he, he's hoping to get to kill some of them, right? Because he's eager to kill them. So, so he's, he's got this arrest warrant. So then he begins this journey from Jerusalem to Damascus. And as he's walking, similar to leaving Wasion and heading toward Delta, as, they're, as he's making his way toward Delta, he's making ways toward Damascus, there's a blinding light that puts Paul on the ground. Now, first service had some fun with me and said, yeah, it's nature fresh. Um, I hate it for you guys to miss out on their joke, so I'm going to share it with you. But there's this blinding light to, to Saul as he's making his way toward Damascus. The light is so bright that it puts him on the ground. And then God speaks. I got to tell you, I don't think I ever want to hear God speak like this. But let's look at what he says. I I hope I get to see the movie when I get to heaven, but I wouldn't want it to happen to me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Let's stop. Just a second. What What did God just say? Why are you persecuting me? Why did God not say, why are you persecuting the people following me? Why did God not say, why are you making it so difficult for us to get the church off the ground? Saul, why are you persecuting me? Listen, listen, church. God takes it personal when people come after you. When you are following the Lord and you are trying to do the Lord's work and people get in your way and people try and stop it, God takes that personally. Why are you persecuting me? I don't know how many of you here are mothers. You ever try to get between the, you ever try to get the, somebody's kid when mom's around, to, to a kid when mom's around? Do harm to a child? Try sometime. Try doing harm to a child when their mom is around. Tell me how many body parts you have left at the end of that encounter. Because that's their baby, right? That's their child. You aren't getting to their child. And God is the same way. He says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? I'm taking this personal. It's not about them. Your fight is not with those people. Your fight's with me. You want to go? You want to go about 10 rounds with me? With me, Saul? Let's go. Who? It's okay killing Christians. I'm not trying to kill God. Yeah? When you think about who's got your back in the fight against evil, isn't it good to know that it's him? Isn't it good to know that he's taking it personal? He's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. you get a little bit of space, but then the hammer's going to fall. And then I also like, Paul kind of thinks he's got this thing figured out, right? I'm going to go to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go to the high priest. I'm going to get his permission. I'm going to go take me some Christians, maybe kill some, maybe take some back to Jerusalem. I don't know, but I'm going to take care. This is, this is my show now. I'm running this show. Get out of my way. And God has this beautiful way of reminding Saul just who's in charge, right? 
Because listen to what he says next. <laughs> and maybe this is just because, I don't know, maybe it's because I, I, because I work as in with control freaks. But, but God kind of takes the control away from Saul here. Listen to what he says. I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now, get up, go to the city, and there you will be told what you must do. Any questions? No, nope. Listen. God is in control of your life. You may think you are. You may think that it's, you're doing what you want to do. And for a while, you may. God had a mission for Saul, didn't he? Did he have a job for Saul to do? Yes, this means yes, this means no. God had a very clear mission for Saul. And Saul was going against entirely the opposite way. And God said, <laughs> you think you're doing what you want to do. I got something for you, Saul. You just go wait. When I'm ready for you, when I'm ready to tell you what to do, you'll know. Anybody ever sent to your room as a kid? Just go sit in your room until I'm ready to talk to you, and then we'll come. We'll discuss this. Anyone else have those conversations? Man, those were those weren't so fun, fun, fun times, were they? My parents are here today. I love them to death. There were there was more than one occasion. I I, I just sat in my room praying, praying there was grace or mercy or something. There was there'd be an earthquake or I don't know something, something happened. Lord Jesus, come! I don't know what you got to do, but. That's what Saul does. That's what Saul has done to him by God. You just go wait. You, you go to the, get up, yep, get up. I know you're blind. Figure it out. Get up, go to the city, and just wait there until I tell you what to do. But that's not the only meeting that happened, right? There's another meeting. Who's the other meeting with? The other meeting's with Ananias, right? Now let's now let's remember. Let's go back to the murderer. Remember who Paul is, right? Saul, what all that he's doing. Now there's this other guy that gets a vision and gets a meeting from God, and God says to Ananias, "Hey, Ananias, I want you to." And this is kind of fun too. I th- I don't know. Maybe it's because of the way I do things. I try to superimpose it on God. I don't know. It might be. Ah, it doesn't matter. But the way that God presents this to Ananias is funny to me, because. God doesn't just come out and tell Ananias, hey, go talk to Saul, right? He kind of, he kind of, breaks, it, he kind of breaks it to him gently. Hey, hey, Saul, I want you to go over to this house on Straight Street. And there's, there, it's owned by a guy named Judas. So go, go, go over to that house. And while you're there, so like Ananias, okay, I, I know Judas, actually. Yeah, I'll go hang out with Judas for a little bit. And while you're there, while you're there, Ananias, I want you to talk to a guy named, I want you to talk to a guy from Tarsus. I wonder, you just wonder, like, if Ananias is bringing, the wheels start turning, oh, Tarsus, I've heard of that place before. Uh, I want you to talk to a guy named Saul there, Ananias. <laughs> huh? So, I don't know if you ever had these conversations with God or not, but Ananias has a conversation with God similar to some I've had. He says, uh, God, you're not really all that bright. Because, like, we got, something, we got something messed up here. Because that guy you're telling me to go talk to, it's the guy that came to arrest us. I'm, I, I don't know if you understand how the world works or not, God, but 
it doesn't seem like a real good idea for me. I, I think that's probably not recommended. And then God says, I've already prepared him. He knows you're coming. I told him your name. Just go talk to him. And then God throws this in. And I don't know why he throws it in. I don't know. And I, I'm going to hope to get a chance to ask him someday because it makes me laugh to see it in there. Because God tells Ananias in this vision, I'm going to let him know how much he's going to have to suffer for me. I don't know why Ananias had to know that. But I think there's just a little bit of Ananias that's like, oh, yes, a little bit of justice. When you enter the presence of God, you will never leave it unchanged. When God meets with you on a personal level, your life will change. Saul became an entirely different person. So much so that they changed his name. Ananias was afraid to death to go talk to this guy named Saul. But being in the presence of God gave him the courage and the strength to go address it. Don't ever discount the power of the Lord's presence in your life. It's life-changing. But we're not going to stop at the meeting because more happens, right? There's more fun for us to have. Because then we look at the mentors. Ananias is sent to Saul to talk to Saul. And then there's this whole thing about, about people trying to kill him. And so he goes to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he tries to meet with the disciples. And the disciples are like, oh, oh, no, we have nothing to do with you. So a guy named Barnabas. You've heard of, have you heard of Barnabas before? Yep, we just talked about him a few weeks ago. A guy named Barnabas takes Saul to the apostles. Now, these are the these are the cool guys of the church at the moment. They're the 11 left and the 12 that they filled. And so they, they've got the, Barnabas takes Saul to the apostles and says, hey, here's the new man in town. Man, would you have wanted either one of those jobs? Would you want to be Barnabas to try and take this guy that's been killing everybody in front of the, the head bigwigs of the church at the time and say, hey, just so you know, God's changed and he's going to be different. So we're going to let him become a leader with you. He's going to kind of be at the same level you are. <laughs> is there any wonder? Is there, is there any wonder why sometimes Peter and Paul didn't get along? <laughs> God puts people in our lives to help us find our way. When you enter the presence of God and God changes your life, he'll give you someone to help you walk the new path. And the converse is true. You as a follower of Christ will be given the responsibility at times in your life to help new people grow in their faith. And there may be people in your life that you're asked to mentor and you're asked to help grow in their faith that you will feel like you're trying to mentor Saul. And like, ooh, ah, oh, I've seen what that guy does. I've seen how he treats Christians. I've seen what he does. I say, oh, I know his history. Are you kidding me? Helping people live the Christian life is messy. It's not clean. 
It would be nice if we went into the water as baptized, we accepted the Lord, and, we're, we're, and our lives were changed. If we came out perfect, and all of a sudden we were like, no temptation, no sin, no nothing. It would it, be cool if we could do that, but that's not the way it works, is it? We've still got, we've still got junk we have to work through. And, you know, you know, it's true that we have junk that we have to work through. You know what else is true? The people around you that say they've accepted Jesus, they also have junk to work through. And God wants us to help them. That's why he puts people in our lives to help us walk those steps. And finally, we see just what Paul has to experience. And that's becoming the missionary. So he leaves Damascus, right? He's in Damascus. He's teaching. And so what happens is he's teaching in Damascus. They, he, he's telling them Jesus is the Messiah. They're saying no. They have this debate back and forth. There's an argument back and forth. They try and figure it out. They get to a point where they can't win the argument with Saul, right? You see that in there? And so what do they do? If you can't win an argument with somebody, kill them. That's what, that's what they say, right? They couldn't, they couldn't win the argument, so they wanted to kill him. It, it's similar to today. I, I know that sounds harsh to say that, but if you watch the news, how many times have you seen a homicide happen because someone got in an argument that they couldn't win, so they shot the person they were arguing with? Because the best way to settle an argument, if you can't win it, is to kill him. It's the same as what happened in the book of Acts. The... The Jews in Damascus are like, hey, we can't beat this guy. Let's kill him. So he goes back to Jerusalem. They let him down in a basket. He goes back to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem. They, Barnabas takes him to the apostles. He's still preaching. What happens, in, what happens in Jerusalem? The Jews can't win the argument, so they want to. Starts with a K and rhymes with Ilim. They want to kill him. Right, very good. They want to kill him there too, right? So like everywhere Paul goes and he tries to share the word and they can't refute what he's saying, the solution is to kill him. Remember what God said to Ananias before Ananias went to talk to Saul? I'm going to let Saul know just how much he's going to have to suffer for me. I know he's treated you guys poorly. I know you guys have been through a lot with him, but I'm going to make him aware that his life isn't going to be easy. Man, it kind, of sounds, it kind of sounds like life, doesn't it? See, that's us, isn't it? What I want you to understand, church, every story of salvation and redemption is identical to Saul's. Every one of them. If you think of your own life, if you know Jesus right now as your personal Lord and Savior, if you look at how you've gotten to where you are, you will be able to see there was a time in your life that you were a murderer, that you were a bad person, that you were sinful, and you were doing exactly what God didn't want you to do. You will be able to point to a time when you were confronted with the presence of Jesus Christ and the message of his salvation. You will be able to point to 
people in your life that walked alongside you and helped you figure out what it meant to live as a Christian. And you will finally see that when God saved you and took you through that process, he did it so that you can go help other people walk that journey. As the worship team comes forward, I want you to just think about your own life. Some of you here today feel like there's no hope. You feel like you're, you just, <laughs> I've blown it so bad, God can never fix it. And I want you to hear the message that happened to Saul and how bad he was and how great God made him. You're never too far gone. Maybe there are people in your life that you feel like they're too far gone. Maybe you need this morning to hear that God loves them just as much as he loves you. I want you this morning to spend some time concentrating on what God did in your life to get you to where you are. And I want you to maybe think about those people in your life that, that you maybe should say thank you to for mentoring you. And I want you to think about what's your mission now. What does God want you to accomplish and who does he want you to help? And where does he want to use you? There was a book a few years ago titled something similar to... All I ever needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. All I ever needed to know, I learned in kindergarten and something like that. I grew up in the church, cut my teeth on, on a church pew. And I'll tell you this, everything I needed to know to live life, I learned before I went to kindergarten. Because I went to church every Sunday, and we sang all kinds of songs, and I listened to all kinds of sermons. And there are three, there are three lessons that I learned very early in my life that are all I really ever needed to know. The first is that there's amazing grace. That I'm a wretch, but there's a Savior that died for me to offer me amazing grace. And I also learned that if I would come just as I was, if I would come just as I am, without any arguments or pleas, without trying to make any excuses, if I would come just as I was, I could receive that amazing grace. But at the end of that amazing grace, I also learned this, and this is my favorite. Someday I'm going to fly away. Because I'm going to leave this world. <laughs> and I'm going to join the next. I don't know when that is. But I'm going to love it when I get there. And the same is true for you. As we sing this last song today, give God some time while you're singing. Just appreciate this beautiful redemption story that happens over and over and over again in the lives of people. God, we love you. We thank you that you've offered us life, that you've offered us salvation and redemption. And I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful, Lord, for the story of Saul to see just how horrible he was <laughs> and how much of a tool he became used by, to be used by you. Man, God, that gives me hope. I pray, Lord, that it gives hope to everybody this morning. And I pray that our lives are changed and we share your love and your grace as we leave this place. In Jesus' name I pray.